Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. On my podcast today, I have someone who is a really, really important person in my life. And so I'm going to tell a real short story about why she's so important in my life. We met by accident uh, at ISTE several years ago because I had put together with Barbara Bray a small team for the Global Collaboration Network um, scavenger hunt. And so my guest, Heidi Carr, was one of the team members who joined us. And I had never met Heidi before. We had such a fun time. And then uh, two years ago, I guess the last ISTE, so it's about a year and a half, we all sat down uh, waiting for a time to be to go to the airport and, and get out of the hotel. We were staying at the hotel, same hotel. And uh, they were asking me, Heidi was asking me and Melissa was asking me, Melissa Eddington, were asking me about my, you know, sort of my life story. And I kind of put it all together and I said, you know, people are really interested in my story. And so that really was the key to start me on the road to finding out a belonging and starting to write my book. So that's a really long story. It was supposed to be shorter, but welcome, Heidi. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here with you today. Yeah. Very excited. I had no clue that conversation sparked this journey. So that's exciting. It was. It was really important because then Barbara and I started talking about it. And if I really want to pinpoint something that, because people had been asking me, um, you know, a lot for a long time, just interested about it, but it was that conversation and the way you and Melissa, anyway, it started a big thing and it's a wonderful thing and I really appreciate it. So, yeah. Uh, but I didn't really tell them very much about you. I talked more about me and, and how influential you've been on me. So tell our guests, our listeners more about um, what you're doing, what you're up to. You're very busy. <laughs> yes. Um, my name is Heidi Carr and I reside in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm in my 14th year of teaching. I love it. I'm very passionate and I'm also passionate able to help other educators spark their passions and interests as well. Um, I teach in the fifth largest school district, Clark County School District in the US. And when COVID hit, our state superintendent from Nevada Department of Ed and other Nevada Department of Ed members created um, what they call the digital engineer. So they picked the top 100 you had to apply um, educators in the Silver State, and I am so honored to be able to be one of those digital engineers and creating content. And I actually have a book study that I'll be doing through Nevada Department of Ed through being a digital engineer. Wow. On the weekends, I facilitate um, code.org 
professional development. And I'm also currently the president of Q Nevada, which is um, the state's um, nonprofit tech organization to provide professional development for educators. And I love my job. I really enjoy doing what I'm doing. I'm always here, whoever needs assistance, whether you're a student, a teacher, or a family, um, we are truly better together. That's awesome. And to the listeners, I told you she was pretty busy, <laughs> but she's doing stuff she loves. So I'm sure it doesn't feel like she's, she's working. So um, Heidi, the first question I usually ask my guests is, if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing or first things that come to mind? One of the first things that comes to my mind is acceptance and being supportive. So when you're being accepted, you're being supported. And that's what's great about our PLN network is we are very supportive of each other and cheering each other on as we go through the journey. Yeah, absolutely. That whole idea of community, which mm -hmm. we'll get into a little bit more because I know from knowing you and knowing about you and, and reading about your background, uh, how much, uh, how important that all of that is to you. So it's obvious that you're passionate about communities of practice, professional learning communities, professional learning networks, and learning with, uh, along with other educators. Do you find a sense of belonging within professional groups? Do you look at it that way? Um, tell me a little bit more about your, your, that passion that you have. Yes, I do feel a belonging and being part of the different learning groups and communities. And even when you go to conferences and Boxer chats or Twitter chats, you're always being lifted up, recharged, you know, in education, some days we do have days where we're like, oh man, do I want to get out? But attending events, PDs, being around people that recharge you allows you to keep that spark going. And when you have off days, um, that learning network empowers you to say, it's all right. It's just one day I could keep moving forward. Right. And that's what I love about the learning networks that educators are able to be, belong to. You mentioned Voxer. For, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with Voxer or have heard of it, but aren't really sure how to get involved or whether it's worth it because there, there's so much you can get involved with. Tell us a little bit more about how you use Voxer, how you recommend others to use Voxer. You know, what are some of the kinds of things that we can do on that? So what I love about Voxer is it's asynchronous. So you could go on whenever you want. Treat it, I always tell people, treat it like a radio station. You turn it on, you turn it off, you come and go. You can listen to as many conversations as you want. And it's free. If you buy the paid version, you'll be able to listen to more past conversations, but you don't need to. You're, and we're all there for each other. And it's nice to be able to have a conversation. We don't see each other's faces, but you get a sense of their voices and you're allowed to have more in-depth and dive deeper into certain conversations than you can on Twitter. And you can also hear expressions through other educators as well. Right. So that allows you to be like, oh, 
such a great idea or if you could tell if someone's kind of having an off day even if they're sharing something they're doing so you could you're able to check on to make sure that are you really okay which would which i like about that yeah hearing that sort of tone of voice it, it's really important and i know that's one of the big things that that people like about boxer there are book studies on Boxer. Is that how you're conducting that book study you mentioned or, is, or are you using some other um, interactive type of uh, app? Um, this book study I'm conducting is not going to be on Boxer. I've done others on Boxer, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but this one we're gonna do synchronously through Zoom. So we'll all be together collaborating. But in the past I have, and it was nice because it'd be asynchronous, you would have like, the questions for the week you would answer people would respond so that's the that's one bonus to Voxer is it's on your own time you mentioned in your back background information playdate las vegas can you tell us a little bit more what is that sounds fun yeah. <laughs> so playdate las vegas is a time for teachers to play with different tech things, try new things. Because as educators, oh. we don't have time to play. We're, we're busy, we're learning. And so we've had a few, I think two or three out here in Vegas. So I've introduced Breakout EDU. Other people have brought different apps and coding tools they've used with their kids. We've done, some people have brought STEM design thinking things together. And it's just a place a safe spot to play, learn, and try new things without any fear, and then get ideas to take it back to either teachers, your community, mm -hmm. or your students. Yeah. Is it kind of like an ed camp? It is kind of like an ed camp, but with different tools and toys and mm -hmm. that you're just more focused on instead of having like a discussion. You're really like, like going to the park and playing for kids. You're just having a ball more focused on ed tech things for teachers. Yeah. What platform do you use for people to get together or, or is it face-to-face? -face? It was face-to-face because -face. Mm -hmm. you would bring, someone would bring something they enjoy. So some, one time someone brought spheres or yeah. Um, uh -huh. And what else? Spheros, yeah. Mm -hmm. Spheros, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. merge cubes to show us how those worked. The AR, VR, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And one of the schools that we hosted at had a design thinking lab, makerspace. Ooh. So they showed us how that works mm -hmm. and allowed us to play. We've had all kinds of different Ozos, whatever people, apps, just a time to play with toys or tech mm -hmm. apps don't normally have time with. I, I love that because it makes it seem well, it is, it's a fun time rather than, this is a professional de development session and you're gonna learn how to use such and such an app or, you know, and it's just puts it in your mind differently than uh, we're gonna have a play date and we're gonna have fun with these apps or, you know, different uh, uh, ed tech tools. So yeah, that, that's really neat. In your background information also, you describe yourself as an innovator and a risk taker. So what are ways that you model that in your classroom? What maybe some sort of examples of that that you would consider innovative, either lesson plans or the kinds of things that you do 
in your classroom with your students? So one thing I do do with my um, kids is I give a lot of choice in voice. Um, and this semester, they had a lot of voice and choice. So every Friday in my class was called Feedback Friday. So they would give me feedback, what was working well in our class, what wasn't, questions they had and ideas. And I would kind of take that. Nice. And I've learned a lot from my kids. Um, kids always have great ideas. They always are learning. They have more time than I have to play on the web. You know, sometimes I wish I could go back. I remember when I was a kid and you had plenty yes. of time to explore. I don't, you know, I don't have that much time anymore. And so I take their ideas and we'll make them assignments. One assignment this year when we were, I think it was the Jamestown of Plymouth, like some of them had a choice to do a Twitter chat and, and pick names from that air, a book, a slideshow. So I'll give them different and we'll talk about it. This year, they decided to dress up like me and that was all their, oh. <laughs> their idea. So Spirit, <laughs> Spirit Week, we've had a few this year and that was to them, they had to create the flyers. So when I go to events or I hear ideas or I see something on Twitter or hear it in Voxer, yeah. And I'll take it and I may tweak it to meet my students and their interest and we'll run with it. Sometimes some of those ideas, they go off without a hitch and sometimes, you know, they don't, but that's all right. And I also make plenty of errors, not, and sometimes they're on purpose, but not all the time because, you know, your brain gets going and my kids correct me and that's, that's all right. So I'm modeling like, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I always let them know, like when we're little, we have no fear. The older we get, I don't know what happens, but yes. we're scared to take those risks. And mm -hmm. I said, and I always use the analogy with them is, did you just wake up walking? Mm -hmm. We felt, you know, it took us forever to learn how to walk and we would fall and fall and fall and get back up. So I use that. And this year, one of my favorite things to do which was a lot of fun and I wasn't sure how it was going to work. And I learned this idea from Mike Ling. It was a playlist, but for books and the kids would create playlists for books and like find a song that matched the theme of the book that had to do with the song. So this year for an all about me, I had them do the playlist about themselves. So they had to find songs that represented themselves. Oh, and wow. allowed me to learn my students at a deeper level than ever mm -hmm. before you know it wasn't the traditional what's your favorite color uh -huh. what's your favorite food I got to understand who they were some songs were very cultural and that was awesome because then I got to understand their history or family history and yeah. then we created a classroom playlist using their playlist that they created for me wow do you feel that that was one of the ways that the students came together and you came together uh, as a community in your classroom? Because of course, that's really important for, especially from day one to establish that, that sense of safety and, and belonging. How far into the year did you do that? And did you feel that the students were okay with it? Um, were they excited about it? Yes, so I did that at the beginning of the year as mm -hmm. to get to know them and they were really excited. Some of them were like, are you really sure we could put songs that aren't in English? And I said, absolutely. Oh, wow. Absolutely. Yeah. 
the only requirement I had is the songs had to be appropriate for school because I wanted mm -hmm. it for the playlist. And then I said, if you chose a song that wasn't appropriate for school, it just won't make the playlist, but that's fine for my eyes if it's okay with your parents. Um, yeah. But it was a lot of fun. So even when their song came on, they were always, there's one particular young woman that would always get so excited. Oh my God, that's my song. Uh, so it's yeah. just those little things. Mm -hmm. And then I think every day in my class was also things. And the two favorite days that the kids absolutely loved was Thankful Thursday and Feedback Friday. They always look forward to those two days. Wow. And I think building that community and camaraderie between all of us really helped, especially in a year like this. It's, yes. it's all of us. And I can't imagine being a kid. You're not understanding. We as adults don't truly understand it either. Right. Um, and you know, you want to go outside and play with your friends. So we even had game nights. They asked feedback Fridays, they would ask for game nights. Mm -hmm. So I let the parents know that this is what we're doing. If you want your kid to continue being on the computer for game night, some of them would just hang out and want to talk to each other. And that was fine. And it was fun nice. to see that other side. And they knew I was there, but they did not remember at the same time. Like they're, you know, because I didn't interrupt their conversation it was mm -hmm. just like being supervised at the park or whatnot but virtually yes. yeah what a great idea so have you been virtual since september or have you been back and forth is there a blended model that they call it so um, right now we're still virtual mm -hmm. march 1st pre-k through third is going to go back into the hybrid model mm. so There'll be three different cohorts. So there's an A and a B and a C cohort. So A cohort goes to school just Monday, Tuesday in person. And then B is Thursday, Friday, and then C is fully distant. Yeah, it's been so confusing. You're right. It really is important that students feel that connection and the innovation and thinking outside of the box at this point is really, really important. How do, you know, how do I remember when, when uh, in a year ago, March, when automatically everybody was, uh, you know, sort of virtual and it was, everybody was freaking, you know, how do we create those same kind of connections and relationships, even though we had established those relationships from September till March, but it just didn't feel the same. And I think people feel more, our teachers feel better about it, but they're still struggling a bit with it. You know, you're used to having them with you in the, in the classroom. Um, Heidi, I remember that I was involved uh, with you last year. I think it was last year. You, you had your students studying refugees. So tell me about, about that unit or the idea for the unit. What, what, sort of was the basis for you to, to teach your students um, about that subject? So I got, one of my friends um, did this unit in Vegas. Um, she worked with this nonprofit um, and we called it the Egg Project, Every Generation Gives. And mm -hmm. our students had, um, I want to say it was $5,000. Now I can't remember. I want to say $5,000 to give to a nonprofit. 
And so this nonprofit would give us different organizations to choose from within our local community. Mm-hmm. But the goal was so they could see what nonprofits do locally, right. um, kind of throughout the U.S. and then on a global aspect. Mm-hmm. And so last year, I let the kids vote, and one of them they picked was one of the refugee nonprofits that we had. And so when you came, we were studying and we learned about um, the nonprofit, and then we did a project so they could see it more on the global stance so we took it from the Las Vegas because we do have a lot of refugees that come here to Las Vegas and then to see how that helps but then to take it to a whole new level and it they were so excited that you came and it was so much fun and I it was a bummer COVID hit because I know we had (laughs) (laughs) some additional plans but that's all right and the kids just loved it we didn't get to finish the whole entire project because COVID hit and we get to finish the other nonprofits for them to vote to give, um, you know, the money or because mm-hmm. you could divide it up. They could figure out like maybe they just wanted each one to get a thousand or this one to get two, this one to get a hundred. So they had a lot of autonomy when it came to that. And yeah, I was so honored that I was able to take that project because my friend wasn't doing it anymore because um, she was out of the classroom. So I asked her, okay, can I? do it because I was able to see when she did it and it was so much fun and it's so much empowering for students to see what our community and nonprofits do and to get them wanting to be a part of our community and volunteering uh, because that's what a lot of nonprofits doing is helping Mm -hmm. each other out because we are together and you start small within your own neighborhood and then your city and then hopefully you'll continue to expand outward. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's one of the types of innovations or lessons that normally we don't think about because, you know, the subject is hard and uh, it's, it's not something that we really necessarily go out to the community about. There are other things about the community that we think about. So it's wonderful that your students were learning about nonprofits and because it's probably one of the last things that they, and volunteerism, it's probably one of the last things that they think about unless their family members are involved in it or they're a boy scout, girl scout, or, you know, their group that, that a youth group that does those kinds of things. So that's, yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Heidi, I know you're really an inclusive teacher and you make sure that your students feel accepted. You talked about that already. And you talked about the fact that it's really important to you that, that they reach out to the community. And, and you also talked about that uh, about me uh, innovation that you did at the beginning of the year with the playlists. So what, what other types of things do you do to create that community or that feeling of inclusion for all of your students? So one thing that I ended up doing this year is I also wanted to include my families. So when the first semester I was doing kind of two jobs, I was in the classroom and a strategist at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I did what was called recap Fridays. So I would recap what we learned yeah. And I would give parents 
or guardians, caregivers, the opportunity to have specific questions that they could ask their child that they should be able to answer because we learned about it in class. Mm -hmm. I would also kind of give them the answer as well. So they understood. Um, so they always had a reading, writing and a math. And I tried to keep the video under three minutes and I used Flipgrid and yes. I would take the closed captionings and they were in English and in Spanish. So I would use Google Translate um, to meet my family's the best that I could. Um, and one of my parents reached out to me and said, thank you so much. You're giving me the motivation to push through this school year. Some of them also said, thank you. Now I understand what you're doing because how a lot of us learned math is not the same. When I went oh, to school, right. it, was all, it was all memorization. Mm -hmm. You follow these procedures, you don't ask any questions. And now we're teaching them the why and to truly understand why we regroup, you know, why we flip the fractions when we multiply. Um, mm -hmm. And then now that I'm out of the classroom and I'm just a learning strategist, I'm doing walk along side Wednesdays. So I am using Flipgrid still, and I'm still using the closed captioning in English and Spanish, but I'm doing it for our entire school community and giving them different ELA and writing tips. So one that I did this Wednesday is you could take your old Christmas cards, Valentine's Day cards, and use yeah. it for reading fluency. And the kids could practice. Oh, or, wow. Or take food boxes and cut them up and put them on a ring and flip through and then they could practice reading that way. Um, and then the other way when I was in the classroom is listening, listening to my students, um, listening to my families. I gave my students surveys, even though we did Feedback Friday, I would give them surveys. And I gave my parents surveys to see what I was doing well, what I could improve on because I want to meet all my students needs the best that I can. I'm not perfect, but my goal is to do the best that I can for all my learners because we're all learn differently. We're all at different stages. So that was my goal. And then I did a lot of projects and would listen to them on how they want. And they would have some say in how they would want to do their projects as well. Yeah. You know, you talk a lot about feedback, feedback from parents, feedback from students. Uh, I'm sure you take feedback from other educators and that leads to a lot of reflection, which is really important in terms of our own professional and personal growth. And so I, I really admire that about, you know, often we don't take that time as an educator, not because we don't want to, because we're just so busy and we just don't think about it. But it is so important to, to our growth to be able to do that. And I know how involved you are in, in professional development for yourself and for others. So it's, it's wonderful that you model it all the time. Tell me a little bit more. You, you said you were chosen as one of the 100 Nevada engineers. Tell me a little bit more. You mentioned a couple of things, but tell me a little bit more about what are some of the things that you've been doing this year? What are the expectations of your role? And what are the kinds of things that you're doing to, to help other educators in that role? So in this role, 
we're all on different teams. So I kind of started out in the curriculum team and then um, I moved to a different team. So I created some videos on how to use um, like Google Meet, um, Google Classroom. And then now I am going to be doing a book study. It's open to Nevada educators and outside. You don't have to be in Nevada to join the book study. Nice. And I'll have to so, include that in the show notes then. Okay. Yeah. And the nice thing about um, the digital engineers is like some of them have a podcast to share different things that are happening in the Silver State. There's going to be a Facebook group. Some of them, another one of our colleagues, digital engineers, is doing uh, webinars on digital citizenship. So it's just educators coming together to help other educators, our students and our families. And as education is changing and evolving, we wanna make sure that our state is prepared and understands where we're kind of headed. So we're trying to provide as much professional development, sharing ideas on like some districts in our state are Microsoft, some are Google. So we have people sharing both and one thing I love about our state superintendent, Joan Ebert, she always asks people, do you have a battle-born buddy? And so that's part of who digital engineers, we could be one of your battle-born buddies, someone to lean on, someone to ask for help. Um, but any educator is really a buddy. And sure. so reach out, make sure you have someone that you can lean on, especially as education is going to change. We're not going back to what it was March, prior to March, 2020. It's going to change. Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled it's finally gonna change. Yes, um, yes we hope change? so, yes. <laughs> we don't know, but I'm gonna stay positive that it's gonna change for the better. And we're gonna finally be able to meet the 21st century goals for our students so they can be successful when they at least graduate high school. Yeah, that's so important that you said your state superintendent models that kind of leadership and had the forethought that, because I hear educators all the time globally talking about the fact that you've kind of, you meaning the greater you, the system has uh, pushed you into or, or sort of plowed you into uh, this new age, and many people weren't comfortable with that. Um, many knew some of, you know, of how to use some apps or ed tech or what tools and things like that, but they were, the comfort level just isn't there or wasn't there. But they're sort of been left to their own devices. It's wonderful to hear that your state superintendent and the vision of the Department of Education in the state has said, look, we need these hundred people we're going to take them out of the classroom and we're going to have them there for support. But in addition to that, look to your colleagues for support. You know, many times because we don't have time built in our, into our schedules, especially American system schools, even here in Kuwait, we have the same type of scheduling with American curriculum schools. You don't have that time to reflect, to plan, to collaborate with colleagues. And when you do go to a professional development session, a lot of times it's somebody standing up at the front presenting something. So we, then there's so much to learn from each other. So how, how can we use the model that it seems like, and, and nothing's perfect, of course, 
but you know, with state systems, there are always bureaucracy and things like that. But it sounds like your state is trying to break away from that as much as possible. What are some of the recommendations you could make for other systems, not just state systems, but other systems, the kind of things that you've seen in, in Nevada that should be expanded because they've been successful or you, you perceive them as successful as somebody who was in the classroom and is now sort of as a coach? So what I like about the model that, you know, that we're, we have started, mm -hmm. it's a lot, it's, we're kind of doing two jobs, which is fine. So some of us are in the classroom like I was, some of us are coaches, some of us on this project are district leaders as well. So oh, nice. it's a very diverse group of people that meet um, outside of contract hours to make sure we're meeting. And I think when you understand your community, every school has a different community, every sure. town has a different community, then you have state. So I think having those amazing conversations and if we could all start having those conversations and we all are, but in isolation, but start bringing it together on the forefront and start truly working together. I think it's going would be so much more powerful instead of us always working in isolation and in little pockets. I think that would help take off the stress load uh, for teachers, for admins, for superintendents as well. And I think it's important that we listen to our educators and our researchers in education. Mm -hmm. And I think from K through college, we need to start really working together when it comes to education. And when people that are on that, in the line, the front line every day with your students, you know, making sure the colleges are changing what they're doing to prepare teachers and making sure that they are truly ready. Yeah. You know, are they ready to be able to teach virtually? Do they have the pedagogy to understand digital literacy? So now we have other things that our families have done an amazing job and our teachers have, you know, overnight, it was like a bomb went off and we're like all virtually. So no, not all of us were trained with, to have digital literacy. So we've all learned it together, but I'm hoping as conversations are being held that we're changing even that teacher pipeline and making sure they're truly ready for mm -hmm. what they're going to be facing because education is evolving. Our students are changing. My students from five years ago are not the same as my students currently. And as the world changes around us, we as educators need to make sure that we're changing to meet the needs of our society. And I like that perspective you, you mentioned about the fact that you know students five years ago aren't the same as students now. Their needs you know, in terms of the future, which is so uncertain, uh, not even just this year, but in terms of jobs and things like that. And I love that you pinpointed that new teachers need to be prepared and at least understand that the learning continues. Now, I've always talked about the fact that engineers and doctors basically are told that they're going to be learning for the rest of their lives. And I understand that teachers 
every once in a while have to take their CEUs or they have to take extra courses and things like that. But it really isn't built into the mindset that when you graduate college with your you know, degree in teaching and, or your certification, that that's enough. Uh, many people walk out that door and graduate and say, not that I know it all, but I, I know enough that I can manage and I'll, I'll learn on the job kind of thing. But it really isn't enough, especially nowadays. So I love the fact that you bridged the, we all need to learn together. And it's not just the educators, not just the teachers. It's also every single level within the teaching system, within the education system, and also further than K-12, it's even into the university system. Um, and we need to start looking at all of that. And like you said, let's stay positive and hope that all of these changes that we've had to deal with are things that will reflect on and you know take the stuff that really is working and move forward with it. So this has been fantastic. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or any other advice? You've given us lots of things to think about, but is there anything else you wanted to sort of tell us about before we finish? Well, only one last thing I'll mention is make sure we truly listen to our families. They are, without them and without them understanding what we're doing, they want to help their child. They're always doing the best that they can. Family engagement looks different and it's going to continue to look different. But let's bridge that gap between the schools and our school communities and become one because we're if we bridge that gap together, we're going to be truly better together. And when we understand our students and our families, the world will be endless. It'll be a powerful, powerful thing together when we, if we all come together. I love that, better together. Yeah, we really need to look at, at all of the stakeholders, all of the components, all of the community as a team. And mm -hmm. uh, talking about what you mentioned in terms of just the language facility translation, having them involved with the learning. And it's been sort of forced upon them this year but in general, you're right. We always need to involve the families. Even if we're in school, children go home in the evening, go home, they are, they're home at, on the weekends, vacations. And it's an opportunity for parents to be able to engage with students. But often students don't go home and tell their parents what they learned. But if the parents are informed, they can start those conversations. You're absolutely right, Heidi. So where can people find you if they want to hop off the podcast and look for you right away? Where are the best places to find you? Um, the best place to find me is either on Twitter or Voxer. And it's car, C-A-R-R -R underscore eight. Or if you're on Instagram, it's um, called the Carific Class is my Instagram handle as well. Yes, and you are the Carific Class. <laughs> And a pretty classy lady at that. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Oh, Heidi, this was wonderful. It's so good to, to, I'm seeing you. The podcast audience isn't seeing you, of course, because I do this on Zoom. They're just listening. But it's so great to see you after all this time. And uh, thanks again for making the time. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, 
be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys number two belonging, dot webstarts.com. See you next week.